Thank you for joining us for another Carlton Fields Real Insights on Real Estate podcast. Today, we're going to talk about an issue that's often glossed over in real estate transactions, the subordination, non-disturbance, and attornment agreement, and how to review it from the perspective of a lender. Joining me to discuss the SNDA and the real estate business is David Adams. David is an attorney. He represents national, regional, and community lenders in a wide variety of regulatory and financial matters. He has extensive experience in the areas of regulation of financial institutions, acquisition and sale of business entities, and the financing of various transactions. David writes quite a bit. He's been published extensively in both legal and non-legal publications in the commercial real estate market. David, welcome. Thank you, Christina, and welcome. Today's topic in Carlton Fields on real estate is all about the subordination, non-disturbance, and attornment agreement and how to review it from a lender's perspective. An SNDA is a document that often both does the things that it says it will do in the title, but it can often do a lot more. Often these documents don't get reviewed until right at the end of a transaction. When reviewing an SNDA from a lender's perspective, the goal is to limit the lender's lease obligations as much as possible. Conversely, and very understandably, I'd like to point out, that a tenant signing to an SNDA wants to protect as many of the rights that it negotiated in the lease agreement as possible. As they say, that's how you make a market. So um, the point of this is to really talk about the inherent push and pull between a lender who may become a landlord against its will and the tenant and how that uh, relationship between those two will be governed by this outside third-party agreement and SNDA. And although a lender will generally agree not to disturb a tenant's possession of a premises if a tenant is not in default, the point of this podcast is to, is to really talk about the most important items that a lender wants its outside counsel to review in any SNDA form and which should be negotiated by the tenant. So, um, of course, before diving into the uh, details of any SNDA, it's important to make sure that the SNDA and to a really lesser extent, the subject lease, actually does the three things in the name of the document. Uh, subordination, one, non-disturbance, two, and attornment, three, which is a fancy legal term for essentially recognizing the lender as the new landlord. Sometimes a lender will leave off the non-disturbance uh, portion of the agreement as uh, a lender is only interested in subordination and attornment. As most people know, the lease Payments are what a lender is really interested in, uh, and the purpose of the subordination and attornment SNDA agreement is to protect the lender in the event of a default under its mortgage to the landlord and or foreclosure of a uh, of a mortgage so uh, or deed of trust or security deed so that the lender has the ability to collect rents, uh, usually through a rent receiver from its tenants. And if it does foreclose, permits the lender or lender's purchaser at a foreclosure to take possession of the property and step into the shoes of the landlord under the subject leases. This is obviously becoming more important as many of the major tenants in the retail industry are experiencing uh, business challenges from a whole host 
of uh, external factors, many of which are outside the scope of this podcast. So without further ado, let's jump into the first uh, part of the document and what it says it's going to do. Subordination. Uh, a subordination is a contractual agreement by the tenant that its leasehold interest in the collateral property is subordinate either to a mortgage or the lien of the mortgage. Um, this distinction is important because if a tenant subordinates to the mortgage itself, then the tenant will be bound by the terms of the mortgage, which obviously may be contrary to the terms of the lease. And alternatively, uh, if a tenant subordinates only to the lien of the mortgage, then only the tenant's possession is subordination, and thus the lease provisions will control, subject to, obviously, the provisions of an SNDA. The second part of an SNDA agreement is the non-disturbance part. Non-disturbance, as the word implies, is a contractual agreement by the lender not to disturb tenant's possession of its premises under the lease in the event of a foreclosure. But at its most basic level, uh, a tenant should require a non-disturbance agreement from a lender in any situation in which the tenant is agreeing to subordinate the lease to the lien of the mortgage. So tenants are well advised to seek a non-disturbance agreement uh, unilaterally from any existing lender when a tenant is entering into its lease, since the lease uh, automatically would be subordinate to the lien of the loan or the mortgage by virtue of being chronologically uh, behind the lien of the mortgage in time. And lenders are generally willing to grant non-disturbance to a non-defaulting uh, tenant in return for contractual subordination, not just chronological subordination but, uh, of the lease to the lender's lien uh, under the loan. The third thing, um, again, in the agreement, and these are all very basic concepts, is a torment, which is simply put uh, a fancy legal word for the technical process by which a tenant agrees to recognize the lender or the foreclosure transferee, if it's not the lender, uh, as the new landlord under the lease. Most of you listening to this probably understand all three of these concepts. Um, so the, the real point of this podcast is to talk about the 10 items that lenders should pay very close attention to in both a lease and the SNDA uh, review process, obviously focusing on the SNDA itself. Uh, and when a lender is reviewing a lease or an SNDA, uh, the reviewer should keep in mind that the review is not only for things that may uh, affect a borrower's ability to pay the loan, but also for those obligations a lender may step into if and when it becomes uh, a landlord. Just like there can be many different lease forms, uh, there is absolutely positively no one-size-fits-all approach to reviewing an SNDA. Uh, all SNDA negotiations must be taken in context. Multi-tenant, single-tenant, extensive lease obligations, uh, short leases. But the items I'm going to talk about today are 10 of the questions that a lender should ask when it reviews leases to understand what obligations the lender may step into if and when it steps into the shoes of the landlord. And it's important to note here that um, sometimes there's nothing worse than a poorly constructed SNDA because the landlord may have worked hard to limit its obligations under a subject lease amendment uh, or the underlying lease itself. And then a poorly constructed SNDA um, expands the obligations of the lender slash landlord um, when it actually becomes the landlord. So it's something to pay very close um attention to and really shouldn't be looked at as an ancillary agreement document because it is in fact part of the deal. So without further ado, the first the first thing that you really want to pay attention to when reviewing an SNDA is the lease. 
um, specifically, is the lease complete? Ensuring that all of the lease documents were actually signed, signed by the correct tenant, the legal entity, uh, and that the lease relates to the correct premises are really preliminary steps, but are really important items to confirm. Uh, Further, the lender should confirm that all copies of the leases include all of the exhibits and the amendments. Um, These can specifically affect the financial terms of the lease, the length of the lease, and other financial matters that are often modified or interpretive by an SNDA. So uh, that's the first step. The second step is what is the lease term? Um, When does the lease expire and what extension renewal rights does a tenant have? Um, This is not always readily apparent from one document and has to um, be gathered after looking at several documents. If a tenant has a renewal option, a purchase option, or another option, the lender should confirm that the borrower or landlord has sufficient notice of a tenant's intent to exercise or not exercise its renewal option so that the borrower or landlord still has enough time to relet the space without risking interruption in rent. And, and, and this is really a key to pay attention to, not just in this but uh, item, but in everything. I mean, it's not so much the property. It's the income from the property that matters. And uh, with that said, let's move on to the third item, which is what is the rent? Uh, together with verifying the rent in the borrower-landlord-provided uh, rent roll, Uh, A lender will want to understand whether there are any rent-free periods in a lease agreement or an amendment, and a lender will also want to understand whether there are any significant exclusions from the operating expenses or taxes that form part of the additional rent. Um, Commercial leases often contain a provision allowing a tenant the right to abate rent, to stop paying all or a portion of rent for a period of time. The tenant may also have a self-help right, the right of the tenant to cure the landlord's default and offset Uh, any costs against rent. A lender will really want to understand and uh, make sure it has a firm grasp on the tenant's right to self-help, any set-off rights. And um, this is especially important when a borrower-landlord in a distressed property is not properly maintaining the subject property. The next item, uh, the fourth item to pay attention to, is are there any tenant improvement obligations under the lease? So where a building is under construction or as a tenant inducement, uh, a borrower landlord may have obligations under the lease to pay for construction or improvements, or TI. I mean, this is, this is very basic commercial leasing 101, but a lender should ensure that it understands uh, what are the projected costs of these obligations, um, what are any tenant remedies for late delivery, and whether the lender would be liable for the borrower landlord's failure to provide um, any of the tenant improvement allowances under the lease. And the fifth item is, what are the termination rights? Lenders need to concern themselves with the effect that a tenant's termination right may have on its underlying borrower's ability to meet debt service obligations. Tenant termination rights can arise from several provisions in a lease. I mean, you want to look at a landlord's breach of a restrictive use covenant, landlord's failure to complete leasehold improvements on time that we discussed just recently, uh, landlord's failure to make major repairs, or landlord's failure to restore the demised premises after a casualty event. Uh, All of these things are going to directly impact the negotiations in an SNDA. And a lender should also review the landlord's termination rights, as this will help assess the flexibility that a lender may have when it enforces a lease, if it it steps into the shoes of its um, borrower-landlord. And 
Importantly, a lender should understand its cure rights. This really can't be understated in an SNDA context because sometimes if a lender who steps into the shoes of a borrower and it has the same cure rights that a landlord has, it essentially has no cure rights. So that, um, that has to be reviewed in an SNDA agreement. The sixth thing is, um, are there any go-dark or co-tenancy provisions in the underlying documents? Uh, A lender should understand uh, landlord's rights if a tenant closes its doors and ceases operations. Uh, This is especially important in the current retail environment. Uh, Although the tenant will typically be required to continue paying its rent if it goes dark, obviously the collectability becomes an issue. Another question uh, a lender should ask is what impact does a going dark provision have on other tenants in a multi-tenant property should one tenant exercise its rights? And this is especially important if an anchor tenant um, goes dark as the other tenants rely heavily on the anchor tenant to generate traffic in the property and grow its business. Um, in an era of decreasing retail foot traffic, this is this is especially important. And a lender should also determine whether a lease contains a co-tenancy provision. Um, So what's that? That's a provision that allows a tenant to exercise specific remedies if certain conditions regarding the presence and operation of other tenants in the building are not met. Let's say you've got a power center with two main uh, anchor tenants. If one tenant goes dark, the other one may have the ability to go dark as well. So a lender should understand the impact of a co-tenancy provision and how it could impact the entire property if any one of uh, tenant's closures uh, or one of the tenants with a co-tenancy provision actually occurs. The seventh item you really need to pay attention to under an SNDA are um, what are the landlord's obligations to build or restore after a casualty event? The obligation to rebuild or restore after a casualty event usually falls on the landlord's uh, shoulders. And this can be obviously an extremely expensive undertaking for landlord, um, especially if insurance coverage is inadequate. Um, and that really leads me to the key to all of this, and that is you really need to understand the insurance on a property. And this is a, this is a section that insurance consultants uh, can really help a lot of lawyers get right um, because a lot of lawyers actually get this wrong. Um, so an insurance review really can't be understated. And and while many of the items that we talk about in this podcast may or may not actually take place, um, insurance is going to come into play at some point during the life of the center and the life of the lease. Um, you know, a lot of these things are how many angels are dancing on the head of a pin, um, but insurance claims are not. They always occur at the worst possible moments and uh, when there is the least amount of coverage uh, available. And if an SNDA reviewer does nothing else, it should really complete a thorough insurance review. That's why we put it at lucky number seven. So, But number eight is, uh, are there any rights of first refusal or first offer? These tenants' rights uh, can limit a landlord's ability to lease vacant space. And again, it's not the property, it's the income from the property. And if you're not leasing vacant space, then you've immediately reduced your um, available funds for debt service coverage. And in multi-tenant buildings, uh, tenants with these rights may be entitled to notice when other spaces become available. uh, And a lender slash new landlord may not be able to offer vacant spaces to the most desirable 
tenants without offering it to existing tenants holding those rights, increasing everyone's costs in an already difficult time. The next item in um, number nine on our list is, is the lease self-subordinating or is there a requirement for an SNDA agreement? We've talked about uh, what an SNDA actually does, but really an SNDA agreement, if you just want to get right down to it, is a um, risk management tool for a lender um, when it becomes uh, a landlord and enters the real estate business. Um, as mentioned above, a key provisions for lenders is is attornment, but um, it's important to note that an SNDA does much more than this and really sets the ground rules for the relationship um, when a lender gets into the business of becoming a landlord against its will. And finally, uh, number 10 on my list of items to review is, is a tenant obligated to provide an estoppel certificate? Um, this one sort of comes from left field, but uh, many leases provide that either a landlord or tenant will execute an estoppel certificate upon the request of each other. The estoppel certificate gives a lender notice of existing issues in the landlord-tenant relationship and any defaults by either party that might need to be cured. Uh, a lender should confirm whether the leases require tenants to provide these estoppel certificates. And a lender should review the estoppel certificate to be sure that there are no unexpected issues with the property or whether there's a strained relationship between the landlord and the tenant that um, could prove very costly to resolve by the lender-landlord or could be costly to the current landlord if the center itself is experiencing tough times. As I mentioned earlier, in most cases, the SNDA will be viewed as an ancillary document in a financing or a leasing transaction. And uh, normally the need for an SNDA arises as one of a lender's closing conditions uh, for funding a loan. Uh, certain tenants may also request an SNDA as a closing condition or post-closing obligation uh, to be satisfied by its landlord uh, during a leasing transaction, but really this is less common than the first first instance. But it's important to note that since an SNDA will be one of the primary documents in a loan transaction and govern what happens when a center or a mall or some other uh, commercial property is in a distressed situation, uh, a lender and a landlord would be well advised not to treat it as an innocuous checklist item and wait until late into the transaction to circulate uh, lenders' quote-unquote form to any of its tenants. And commercial tenants should not let the attitude of their landlord or its lenders or any last-minute rush to get an SNDA done fool any of them. The, the stakes are very, very high and tenants should carefully review the terms of any proposed SNDA with its counsel before signing. And while many of the items that we've discussed today are some of the highlights of what you should review um, under any commercial lease provisions, um, it's important that there are many others not discussed here that tenants and landlords and lenders would be well advised to review before signing or completing an SNDA. In conclusion, really the goal of this podcast is to talk about what an SNDA is and what are the 10 items that lenders should pay attention to when completing a loan transaction in order to really cut down on the number of surprises or gotchas if and when 
the lender steps into the shoes of the landlord or there's a receiver in place to um, start taking those obligations off of the current landlord. But we appreciate your time and welcome your suggestions on this or future real estate podcast. David, this is all such helpful information. It really gives lenders great insight into the questions they should be asking when reviewing leases so they can better understand what obligations they may be facing if and when they step into the shoes of a landlord. For those of you who would like more information on SNDAs, you may reach out to David at dadams at carltonfields.com. If you would like to learn more about our commercial real estate and finance group, visit carltonfields.com forward slash real estate. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening. 